Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Why don't you, if you have one, take a Bible. And if you have a Bible, then uh, turn to John's Gospel and chapter 3. And we're going, to, um, we're going to look today and for the next couple of weeks at um, something that if you've hung around church for a while, um, you'll go, oh, really? And uh, if you haven't hung around church at all and uh, you get to be exposed to this stuff, I reckon you're going to go, wow, really? Because uh, we're going to look at the greatest sentence in the history of the world ever. Um, in fact, probably the most famous sentence ever spoken in the English language or any language. You can find it at golf tournaments. You can find it at football matches. You can find it on most street corners. Um, it's John's Gospel, chapter 3, and verse 16. And some of you, even if you, uh, you don't do church very often, will be able to quote what that verse is all about because you've heard it so many times. And for some of you, immediately, you're getting turned off and you're thinking, really, isn't that just beginner's stuff? You know, if you've been around church a while, you think, John 3.16, really, is that, isn't that just beginner's stuff? And the reality is, well, yes, it is beginner's stuff. But the way on is the way in, and the way in is the way on. And here's a verse that talks about God. And here's a verse that talks about life. And here's a verse that talks about love. And here's a, word that talks, a verse that talks about faith. And here's a verse that talks about destruction, and here's a verse that talks about eternity. So it might just have something interesting to say to our relationships, to our workplaces, to our marriages, to our finances, to how we walk through this world uh, and the decisions that we make. So John chapter 3 and verse 16, 26 words beginning with God and ending with life and urging us to do the same. Beginning with God and ending in life and urging us to do the same. And the cool thing is they come at the climax and the heart of probably the most famous conversation in the New Testament. Between Jesus, the Son of God, and Nicodemus, a man of the Pharisees, and they have this conversation that changes Nicodemus's world. It like flips it upside down. It turns it on his head, and everything that he's been trusting in, everything he's been believing in, suddenly it gets all wobbly and it gets exposed for what it is. And it has the potential of changing yours as well. It has the potential of changing mine. So shall we read? John, four of you nod your head. John chapter 3. Should we read? Yes, Carl. Let's read the Bible. John chapter 3 and verse 1. And we read this. This is John. And John, you know, forgive me, but John is like the most intelligent of the disciples. You know, there are other disciples who kind of, you get the impression that they speak with a northern accent and they're kind of blunt and... This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, stick it in your pipe and smoke it kind of stuff. John is much more Oxbridge. 
He is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And this is John. Um, <laughs> that's not relevant to anything I'm about to say. John chapter 3. So this is, this is a guy who understands stuff. And he records this conversation. And it has incredible nuance to it. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's just pray. Father, we have this audacious belief that this word is living and active and it speaks to our hearts. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. And would you take your word and would you help us appropriate the words of God for our hearts and our lives so that we would leave this place different because you have been amongst us. Come Holy Spirit. So here's the scene. Nicodemus is like, like. I've been telling my kids all week to stop saying the word like. Nicodemus is. He's not like anything. He is. He's a religious and political leader of the nation of Israel. He is deeply important. And so he's waiting for the right moment to encounter Jesus. He comes at night. I think he comes at night because, because it's deeply controversial to hang out with Jesus. Jesus isn't the kind of guy that, doesn't, that goes unnoticed in any conversation. What he's doing is he's waiting to ask some deep questions that he has. He, he looks like the kind of person that has everything sorted. He's a religious leader. He's a political leader. He has kudos. He has fame. He has success. He has money. He's got all that kind of stuff, and yet he has questions that need answering. He comes at night because his head is messed. Everything he's been trained to think and hold and stand upon is rocking because this guy showed up. And everything about him is disturbing and attractive 
in equal measure. Everything about him is upsetting and addictive in equal measure. Everything about him is wrong according to what Nicodemus knows. And everything about him is absolutely right according to what Nicodemus understands. His name is Jesus. And Jesus appears to be a deep contradiction. I mean, everyone who hangs around with Nicodemus doesn't like Jesus very much. Because Jesus like unpins hand grenades and he blows them into into Nicodemus' religious world. He takes the temple and he starts to, 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 to knock the stalls over. He purifies it. He heals people on the Sabbath. He's just deeply unpopular. He says he can forgive people their sin. I mean, who does he think he is? God. And yet everyone else who doesn't hang around with the religious guys thinks that Jesus is the best thing. He's like center spread, pull out section weekend news. You know, he's he's Jesus. He's healing people. He's transforming lives. It's incredible. I want to hang around Jesus. He speaks about God as if he knows God. And then he does things that almost proves that he is God. So Nicodemus' head is messed. And he comes at night. He's a man of the Pharisees, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And they are deeply contradictory people as well. I mean, you wouldn't mind it if a Pharisee moved in next door to you. You wouldn't. I mean, they didn't play loud music late at night. They didn't upset people. Their kids might rub off on your, your kids and you'd have some good results. But they were equally the kind of people that just get up your nose. You know those kind of people. Don't look at anyone right now. You do. You know this kind of people. Kind of, they're, they're so judgmental. They're so legalistic. They that they want to get everything right. They think they're doing the right thing, and they're just so annoying. They, the, the Pharisees had 341 laws, and then they invented a whole stack of other ones. They had 229 of their laws were about what you could do when you ate. I mean, really. They had all these laws about what you could wash, what you needed to wash, and what you could eat and what you couldn't eat, and who you could eat with and who you couldn't eat with. They had discussions about all these things all the time. Can a man divorce his wife for burning dinner? (laughs) Why is his wife making dinner in the first place? (laughs) If you are baking bread while naked and you want to use that for an offering, is it unclean? I was wondering about that. <laughs> you know, these are the kind of guys that you wanted them to move in, but you didn't like them. They were difficult people. And Nicodemus is used to talking about God. He's used to reaching out to God. He's used to appeasing God and pleasing God. But he didn't know God. Did you know that's possible? It's really possible to, 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 to being used to talking about God and hanging out with God and appeasing God and doing all the right things as far as God is concerned and not know God. It's, it's equally possible for you to have known God when you hung out with God and now you just hang out with God and you don't know God. And so Nicodemus comes at night and uh, he has rehearsed what he's going to say. You ever done that? I do that. When, when I'm going to see people that I think, I, I think you know, that they're going to not like me or stuff, I, I, I rehearse what I'm going to say. I wear the right clothes, called power dressing. And, 
and then you walk in and you, you know what's going to come out. And Nicodemus walks into this house and, uh, and, and, and as he walks into this house where Jesus is, he is reminded of how fresh the Jesus story is. He walks past fishermen and tax collectors and terrorists and he thinks these guys and Jesus... <laughs> And he says this, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who comes from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. He sounds like an Anglican minister. And really what he's saying is, I have heard of you, and I know who you are, and I know what you do, and I think you're quite cool. I've done my homework, Jesus. And what he's expecting is because Jesus is a rabbi and he's a rabbi, he's expecting Jesus to respond with some niceties of his own. I, I've heard about you, Nicodemus, you hang around in the temple courts, you're a religious guy, you do nice things, and you're a good guy. And Jesus says, verse 3, I'm speaking the truth. Whenever Jesus says, truly, I say unto you, you better watch out what's coming next. I am speaking the truth, Nicodemus. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Hi, Jesus. Good to meet you. You've been hanging out. I know some of the things that you do. It's really good. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Okay. Excellent. That's taken me right off my guard. This is huge. And it's difficult. And it's offensive. All in a one And Nicodemus is thinking, the kingdom of God is possible. Is it possible you can see the kingdom of God? Is it possible that in all the pain and the anxiety and the the heartache of this world that actually I can see and experience the kingdom of God? Is, Is that possible? And then he's thinking, no one can enter the kingdom of God? I mean, that's nuts. Because he'd been brought up all his life understanding that any religious Jew of any kind is, is by birthright going to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, if you don't, if you're not, the only way in which you cannot enter the kingdom of God is to deny God completely, and he wasn't about to do that. No one can enter the kingdom of God. Wow. And Jesus says, hey, you Pharisees, you're the exclusion kings. You decide who is in and who is out. You want exclusion? Everyone's out. Everyone is out. Nicodemus, you're dead. You're dead. You're just completely dead. And Nicodemus, who would have thought that he had every right to think he was fully alive and he was a religious ruler of God's people, Jesus says, Nicodemus, you're dead. You have no spiritual life about you. There's no possibility of you entering the kingdom of God. There's no possibility of you embracing all the wonders and the joy of the reign and rule of God in your life now or forever. You're dead. You're just completely dead. What you need is to be born again. What you need is a fresh start. And it only comes from the Creator. It only comes from God. You can't work it up or work it out. You need to be born again because you're dead. And then this incredible sentence, the greatest words ever spoken, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish 
but will have eternal life. As the unpacking and the commentary and the reasoning for all that has just happened in Nicodemus's head and his heart. You are dead. But God loves you. And you can have life. But for you to have life, we've got to reimagine God for you. And for you to have life, you, we've got to reimagine love for you. And for you to have life, we've got to rediscover the world for you. For you to have life, you've got to rediscover God. Nicodemus had no problem with the existence of God. I mean, the way in which he saw the world had God right at the center of it, God pulling the strings, God creating stuff, God sustaining stuff. He understood it. He was deeply orthodox in his views. What he had a problem with is the nature of God, what God was actually like. Because he would have studied the Scriptures and he would have known God in all his power and all his might and all his creativity. And if he knew a, a little bit about God, he would have known that God was also relational. But what he didn't understand and didn't get was that God is intimate and he is loving and he is compassionate, and he wanted a personal relationship with Nicodemus. Maybe some of us do have an issue with the existence of God. I wouldn't blame you. I mean, the culture that we're, we're growing up in, in our generation, the, the culture we're growing up in, I mean, it has a big issue with the existence of God. Surely we, we did it ourselves, we sought it ourselves, we don't need God, we're post-God, we're post-Christian, we're post-everything. But, but actually, there's something in our heads and our hearts that says what caused there to be something rather than nothing. What is the prime mover in all this stuff? And what caused that something to have such beauty and such design and such intricacy woven into its DNA? Surely there must be someone who's pulling the strings. And there's something in our head and our hearts that says, what caused me to have a conscience about some of this stuff? What caused me to be moral in the way in which I act? And what causes me to want to worship? There's something in our head and our hearts, but... When we come close to saying that must be God, we have an issue because all the descriptors of God that we've been given by the religions that we follow are restrictive descriptors of God that say God is some kind of bully boy or God is some kind of distant being who's not interested or God is some kind of scorekeeper who's, who's keeping all the scores of the things that you do and the things that you don't do and somehow he's going to get you because he's also a doomsday God. We've got all that stuff going on in our head and our hearts and Jesus says God loves. If you want the prime descriptor of God, God loves. Nicodemus, God loves. God loves you so much. God loves. And, and, and not some kind of weak, namby-pamby kind of descriptor of love that we carry in our culture where we love peanut butter and we love our wives in equal measure. We love football and we love surfing and we love... No, 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 no. God loves. He loves so much that he gives the best that he has. He loves so much that he forgives the worst that we can do. He loves so much that it's in his DNA, it's in his gut and in his heart. He loves so much that he chooses terrorists and smelly fishermen and tax collectors to be part of his gang. <laughs> he chooses you and he chooses me and he lavishes his love on us. It's agape, self-giving love that never, ever runs dry. God loves Nicodemus. Do you get this? Do you understand how much he loves you?
See, you're not going to be able to enter life, the reign and rule of God in this world and beyond, until you understand that God loves you. Do you understand, Nicodemus, what God thinks about this world? I mean, this is huge. Do you understand what God thinks about this world? And Nicodemus completely understood what God thought about this world. God hated the world. And Nicodemus spent most of his time trying to, trying to remove himself from the world, trying to wash the world off of him, trying to exclude the world from his life so that he could be pure and perfect, so that one day he could get to heaven to be with God in a pure and perfect world. He hated the world. And Jesus says, no, <laughs> Nicodemus, God loves the world. That word world is the word cosmos. It's way bigger than you, although some of us think we're at the center of our worlds. It's just way bigger than you. It's way bigger than you and your mates and your friends. It's way bigger than your environment. It is everything. God loves the world so much. Now listen, if, you, if, you, if, you're new, if you're new here in church, you've never been in church, then, then um, amuse me just for a moment. I want to talk to those of you who, who've been in church a long time. Do you know the gospel you've got is too small? And the view of the world you have is too small? And, and your view of mission is too small? Because God doesn't just love you and people like you. And want you to to know that God loves you and people like you to know that God loves them as well. God loves you and them and everybody in this world and every little part of this world and all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe. What he's doing is he's going to restore them and bring them back together again in something that he calls his kingdom's reign. God loves all things. And what we do, because we can't manage that concept, is we try and manage it to, to, to a point where we reduce the gospel and we reduce the impact of God and we say, well, it's about me and it's about other people and that will do, thank you very much. But actually, God loves this world. What if instead of removing us from this world, he's sending us into this world? That's so like God, isn't it? What if he's sending us into this world to unleash the compassion of God and the love of God to this world and to work for systemic good and to feed the hungry and to redeem business and to invest in and encourage the arts? What if that's God's plan to steward his creation, to bless the good and stand against the unjust, to welcome the power and the compassion of the Holy Spirit? What if that's God's idea for us? That we're supposed to love the world as he loves the world. We're supposed to love the dark and dirty places of this world and bring something of the light of Jesus. We're supposed to love business and we're supposed to love the economy and we're supposed to love the arts and we're supposed to love media and we're supposed to love education in the way in which God loves education and the arts and families. With a kind of gut love that says, this is my world. For God's so loved the world, the whole thing, Nicodemus. It's not you in your religious small corner hanging out with your get out of hell free card, hoping that one day God's going to show up and you can get out of here because that's dirty and heaven is beautiful. It's how can you unleash the power and love of God to a world that he loves Wow.
that he gave his only son. That he gave his only son. That's how much God loves. That's how much he loves this world. That's how much he loves Toll Cross. That's how much he loves the people who work in the sauna bars. That's how much he loves the beaches. That's how much he loves. That's how much he loves you. That he gave his only son. And we don't quite understand in the way that Nicodemus understood exactly what was being said. Because we don't get atonement in the way that they got atonement. Because we we don't have a history that is littered through and shot through with a concept of someone atoning or something atoning for sin. But the Jewish people had it. They knew exactly what was being spoken of when Jesus said that he gave his only son. They knew about Passover lambs and blood put on the doorposts so that people wouldn't die. They knew about atoning sacrifice. They knew about sacrificial lambs, and every time they sinned, they went to Jerusalem with a lamb under their arm, and it got killed on the altar, and somehow that would atone for their sin. They knew about all that kind of stuff. They knew about the prophetic pictures. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, Isaiah 60, Isaiah 53. And there's a sheep before a shearer's. They knew all about that stuff. One day there's someone coming. One day there's someone coming who's going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's going to be the atoning sacrifice. One day we're waiting for him. And John had just been speaking about him. In John chapter 2, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's Jesus. He's the one. For God so loved the world, a deep love, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, and that was offensive as well, because Nicodemus was king of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were king of exclusion, and they knew who was in and who was out, and in fact, almost everybody was out, and they were in, that was the deal. Let me just read you a list. If you, were, um, if you were in the farming industry, put your hand up if you're in the farming industry. Two people who aren't putting their hand up right now. If, if, if you were a shopkeeper, put your hand up if you're a shopkeeper or you work in a shop. Nobody works in a shop. Such a professional class here. Well done. Uh, healthcare professional, if you're a healthcare professional, but yeah, yeah, healthcare, there you go, healthcare professionals, you're out. Uh, cleaners, anyone does cleaning? That's me, I clean the house all the time. <laughs> uh, hairdressers, any hairdressers? Got hairdressers? You're definitely out. Uh, immoral people, any immoral people? Yeah, some are, I know some of you right in the back, yeah, you're immoral people. <laughs> Jewish people, have any Jewish people here today? I'm Jewish, yeah, you haven't kept the law, you're out as well. Gentiles, the rest of you, everyone's out. Basically, unless you're a Pharisee, you're out. Jesus says, I know about your exclusion clauses. And in the kingdom of God, everyone's in. Everyone's in. Whoever believes, whoever believes will have eternal life. Listen, your position is not going to save you. And your prestige is not going to save you. And your piety is definitely not going to save you. In fact, I, I find this really interesting that Jesus went around. If you, if you, if you read this New Testament, this, this book, very clearly in the accounts of the Gospels, Jesus went around systematically opposing religion. 
He did it all the time. He tears down strongholds. Your temple, it's coming down. Your sacrificial system, I'm rendering it obsolete. Your law, I'm fulfilling it. Your priesthood, I am it. It will not save you, and for your own good, I'm going to dismantle it and throw a, a grenade into it because it's going to destroy you. At best, it will disable you, and at worst, it will strangle the God life out of you. Your religion will kill you. Isn't it really interesting? That the thing that Jesus did systematically again and again and again and again in the New Testament, so often we have just reconstructed. You find that interesting? And Jesus says, your temple, we're getting rid of that. Your sacrificial system, we're getting rid of that. Your priesthood, we're getting rid of that. And all we did was we just stuck it all back in again. Well, we'll have a temple, we'll call it a church building. We'll have a priesthood, we'll call them ministers. We'll have a sacrificial system. We'll call it rhythm and pattern. That's how we'll do it, but that's what we'll do. And we'll make it the thing. And often it just strangulates us and kills the God life in us. For God so loved the world. He loves the world. He's an incredible God that he gave the most precious thing that he had to win you, that whoever, whichever one of you, however you've been here every week for the last however many years, but you find yourself following a religion and a God that you used to know, or whether you're here for the first time and you're absolutely desperate, I need to know God. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have life. How cool is that? Do you know, a few years ago, there was a billboard um, advertising campaign, which I thought, I just think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant because I live with five women. But, um, and you'll find out why I think it's brilliant in a moment. But it had a huge billboard. I don't know what it was advertising. Honestly, I don't care. But it, was, it just had this thing, on, and it said, you choose makeup or mobile. <laughs> so that's brilliant. Your choice, makeup or mobile. Wow, that provoked a whole bunch of debates in my house. Why do I have to choose? <laughs> you choose makeup or mobile. Do you know, when you're, when you're confronted with a sentence like this, 26 words that begin with God and end in life and impact your life, you have a choice. Am I going to continue to live according to my religious practice or am I going to allow Jesus to blow that up and walk into life in all its fullness am I going to continue to live trying to make it happen myself with all my goodness and all my kudos and all my intelligence or am I going to give it up say I can't enter life that way and let God do it for me am I going to choose one life or two? His death or mine? 26 words. Starting with God, ending in life, and inviting you to do the same. How about it? Let's pray.
Do you know, it must have been really, really hard for Nicodemus to hear the words, um, you must be born again. And it might be quite hard to hear the words that the Holy Spirit whispers. You must be born again. You got it wrong. You don't know God. You got a misunderstanding of the word love. You don't understand how much I love you. But let him say it anyway. Because you can walk out of that conversation with life. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come right now. And bring your life and bring your freedom and bring your grace and bring your love to bear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.